Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people, your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. This is Marin Costello Radio. Ladies and gents, we have such a special guest on the show today. A Virginia native and Army veteran, Chase Tuning is a Virginia Commonwealth University alum graduating from their health, physical education, and exercise science undergraduate program in 2013. Having completed his MS in health promotion from American University in Washington, D.C., he also holds the following credentials, ACE certified health coach and TRX certified suspension trainer, Living a life of wellness has always been a part of him. Since growing up eating fresh food from his grandparents' garden, playing baseball throughout school, and enjoying time in the mountains surrounding his family's Southwest Virginia home. After six years of active duty, Chase was medically discharged from the military due to a string of injuries that ultimately required him to have bilateral reconstructive hip surgeries. After learning how to walk again twice, exercises, medicine, and a healthy lifestyle, modifications became his passion. Chase currently resides in Los Angeles, California with his wife, May, a family nurse practitioner, and their dog, Nella. Chase, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure to be here. And it's always a trip for me to hear me read, my life read, my bio read. I'm like, yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, that's me. That's me. (laughs) How many lives do you think you've lived in this lifetime? Uh, and the, I was just thinking this week, um, but, you know, the more I hear about all those past lives and just hats and occupations and places around the world, it's like, damn, you know, we live well, some of us, I guess. Some of us have the great privilege of living many mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. What would your advice be to someone who's in transition from one life to another? Oh, wow. Geez. What a question. Um, you know, it, that's a, that's a good question. I, I, I've, I've gone through many transitions in life, um, civilian, soldier, civilian, again, student, coach, trainer, employee, boss, manager, entrepreneur. And it's kind of one of those things you don't realize. Well, sometimes, you know, it's a hard decision and you're like, I'm embarking, I'm stepping out. But I think in transitions in life, we don't fully realize it until we're on the other side of it. And then it's kind of, we're trying to make sense, you know, like, why is life different? Why am I feeling this way? You know, things are a little bit different. I'm maybe having different conversations, new relationships, and you kind of just take a step back and you realize, wow, I am a completely different person, or I'm in a completely different place or phase in my life that I didn't plan on. But lo and behold, here I am. And it's just one of those sneaky things. So first and foremost, if that's you, I would say really kind of just take a moment. I've had some incredible realizations and just immense gratitude. And honestly, even sometimes even grieving a past life when I, when I really get still and I introduce just quietness and I kind of reflect and turn back on from where I just came. Um, there's a lot of gratitude, a lot of love and a lot of lessons in there, but maybe if you're on the other side of it and you're about to choose to transition out, buckle up, um, buckle up and just get ready for get ready for what you think is going to happen to happen, but then also everything else 10 X, because I don't think we can transition in anything in life, a job, a relationship, a city, whatever, um, without out of necessity, having to shed a version of ourself. 
Um, but we're just getting one step closer to the truest version of ourselves in any transition, I think. So it's a little bit of insert stillness and pause and, and learn your lessons. Um, but then also, you know, buckle up and get ready to, to shed that layer. When you were speaking, I just kept getting over and over healing, healing, healing. Like, mm-hmm. what is your process of healing? What is my process of healing? Mm-hmm. Mm. And that has, that could obviously change, right? From one yeah. season to another, but maybe what does it look like now for you after having lived so many lives? You know, uh, I'll go back to kind of that stillness aspect again, mm-hmm. healing because of a lot of the lives that I lived in the past, you know, because of being the oldest of three, because of being a soldier, because of being uh, a lot of these different things, I, out of truth or out of just my own perception or even misconception, felt that I could not slow down, that I needed to just go boom, 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 next mission, next mission, next mission, next thing, next thing, next thing. But in that, I think we miss what we need to heal from and we miss the time needed to heal, whether that's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or in some cases, all the above. And so what I have been really doing the last several years is slowing down immensely slowing down. So, you know, I, it's this phrase that I picked up in the military and anybody that's been in the service can relate slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And you mm-hmm. need that kind of approach to certain tasks when you're hitting the ground running so that you don't fumble so that you don't, you know, miss the most basic fundamental things that you've been trained on or that you just innately know. But especially when it comes to healing, really, really, really slow down, really slowing down and just inserting as much stillness as possible on a regular basis um, has just allowed me the opportunity to just kind of, again, like I was saying earlier, have gratitude for the transitions that have happened and the growth that has happened. Maybe the healing that's already happened that I didn't realize, you know, I'm on on the other side of a, of a trauma, big T, little T, or just on the other side of a human problem. Um, But I have not had the ability to fully realize those and apply them more importantly to integrate those lessons outside of stillness. That's amazing. What does your stillness practice look like now? Is it a daily practice? Is it like when you feel like you're going too fast, then you slow down? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, The latter I'll, I'll answer first because I, through a couple periods of immense burnout, again, of just go, 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 the next thing, next thing, particularly through the last several years in my entrepreneurial journey, um, because we, we tend to just live in the eye of a hurricane. Maybe it's just me um, and think if we slow down, then everything's going to fall apart or we're going to lose opportunities or whatever. Right. Um, but, you know, definitely from the latter first, it's really just kind of forcing myself to slow down out of that, that hurricane a little bit, but then making it a practice, um, you know, j- even just little things, you know, expanding on my morning and evening routines, my morning and evening time, um, just really when I'm alone in the house, if I'm up before my wife or if she's left for work or just anytime, honestly, I can, when I'm in those bookends moments of the day, it's just, okay, this is an opportunity. This is a gift that has been given to me through scheduling, through whatever that I might not get again. So especially in those moments when I'm trying to rise and really get ready for the day and then separate stillness really, I think those are really opportunistic moments to kind of have that, but then really scheduling it in like literally when I see white space in my calendar, certain times just, okay, 
quiet time, downtime, take a walk, uh, or looking at, you know, if it's been weeks and weeks and weeks and I've been go, 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 putting a hard pause and blocking just a maybe a quick overnight trip or a road trip or just getting away, going to the beach, going to the mountains, um, just just being more aware of where and how I am spending my time and spending my wheels so that I cannot let it get away from me again. And just as I would prioritize work or other tasks and priorities, also prioritizing the downtime and the quiet. I love that. Speaking of scheduling, what does your daily weekly schedule look like? And I know that that's kind of a loaded question (laughs) when you ask an entrepreneur, but I also know that from my experience, having some sort of regimen or schedule is really important and effective, even though you're constantly putting out fires. So what does that scheduling look like for you? It looks like something that annoys the hell out of my wife because we share a calendar. <laughs> oh my I, gosh. I am constantly, it's good. You know, we, we, a few years ago kind of turned on each other's calendars on the iPhone just to kind of see, so, or, you know, if we want to book something or just, you know, to kind of be aware of the other person's life. Um, and it, I, I'm that guy that I'm scheduling breakfast, shower, walk, yeah. sauna, gym, podcast, phone call, um, I'm that person and I have it color coordinated for everything. So it works out well for me so that I can really quickly look at my calendar and based on the color, I can see what and how much of a task that I have coming up that day or that week. Um, Blue is all podcast stuff. Green is all coaching. Yellow is all personal. Uh, Red, a version of red is like anything shared that I have with my wife. So it's a great, just high level way for me to look at my calendar to know what I have coming up of what type of task, like what version of chase needs to show up. And if I'm just seeing too much of one thing or all the things over time and not enough of that white space or not enough of that yellow personal time, then I know, Hey, that's a cue. That's a flag. I need to go in and kind of reassess that situation. But it's, um, it, it sounds like a lot and it sounds weird, but I've heard a lot of high performers and business owners and just people that I, I really look up to, um, have to do that. And it has been a great addition to my personal, my personal way about going about living and work. And it's just, I schedule work. I schedule fun. <laughs> I know when I'm going to work and I know I'm going to have fun. I love that. I love me a color coded system. I mean, that really is the first thing that I notice on my calendar. Um, Cause I have, I use an app called week Cal and it pulls all calendar events from any email from all my different calendars, from all my different emails. And without the color coding system, it would just, it would look like too much for me, but since things are color coded, it it's actually more digestible. Isn't it interesting how we can just so subtly and easily and quickly trick our brains. It's, it's all the same tasks that are before us, but just by doing something as simple, and that's a great kind of takeaway, I think for someone listening and looking to maybe get better at task management, time management, productivity, you look at your calendar, you look at your life, and it's just so overwhelming. Life is so overwhelming these days. But if you can just break it down, chunk it down, put it into groups, put it into to colors, I mean, you're really setting yourself up for success more by just allowing yourself to look at your life, look at your tasks, look at your work, and just reduce, if not eliminate the overwhelm. And think about how much better you're going to be when you can show up to your job, to your spouse, to your partner, to yourself with reduced overwhelm, reduced stress and anxiety so that you can better accomplish that task or even hell, just be more present when you're starting off. I feel like reducing overwhelm is the essence of entrepreneurship. And I think probably anyone, anyone who works, right? Reducing overwhelm. But I find that the systems that I continue to 
use and implement and also improve and um, modify Mm -hmm. are mostly about Mm -hmm. reducing overwhelm, like finding time in the schedule and then reducing overwhelm together. That's a secret. If you could bottle that up and just, you know, sell it, uh, you'd have, you'd have a lot of SKUs, but that'd be, that'd be <laughs> an amazing lineup. Yeah. I love it. So one of the questions that we like to ask on the show to kind of show the holistic perspective of all of our guests and go back to the very, very beginning is what was little chase like? Oh, wow. Damn. Little chase was protective. Like I said, I'm, I'm the oldest of three. I'm an older brother. So I've got that natural older brother syndrome, I guess. Uh, I've got a younger brother and a younger sister. Um, Little Chase was very, very curious, adventurous, um, hungry for life. And in a lot of ways that Little Chase is still here today. Uh, I'm just very, very hungry for life. And I, I, I give a lot of credit to when we look back on our lives, some people say it's nature. Some people say it's nurture. It's, it's how were you raised? Where were you raised? Belief systems, religion, family, your mm-hmm. tribe, <clears throat> excuse me, or just who are you innately? And I really do think um, I give so much credit to, to my nature and nurture, my, my upbringing. Uh, we didn't come from a lot. Like I said, we came, I, I grew up in Southwest Virginia in a very tiny town called Roanoke, not even actually in, in this outlying area um, outside of the, those city limits on close to 200 acres, just in the middle of the mountains. And my life was just incredible. I was always just, you know, playing and protecting my little brother and sister. Um, we had this massive garden in our back field where my grandfather and grandparents would just till the soil. And looking back, they would definitely uh, trick us into getting child labor. It was this game called get the rocks out of the garden. And whoever got the most rocks won. And that was definitely my grandfather using free child labor, but (laughs) so that he wouldn't break the till. Um, But, you know, it was just, it was getting my hands dirty. It was literally just putting my hands in the earth to work it, to, to then reap the rewards of the fruits and the vegetables and everything that we would eat and grow and just playing in our creeks, or as we would say in Southwest Virginia, the crick, Um, and just, you know, having so much fun and being immersed fully in nature and wildlife um, and just being, being in a tribe. It was me, my brother, my sister, my dad, my grandparents, Uh, my parents built up when I was very young, but very soon after that, you know, my dad met my stepmom, who was very much a mother figure for me and still is. And so I I was always surrounded by love. I was always surrounded by my people. I was always surrounded by the bare necessities of sunshine, food, play. Um, And so even though we didn't have a lot, we weren't, you know, well off, you know, we never, I never wanted for anything because I just had the best people and the best food and just the best experiences. And it just set me up for success. So, um, you know, I'm very grateful for little chase. I love that. What was your first experience with entrepreneurship or first exposure to it? Okay. First exposure, my father, um, he was in the army. He enlisted in the U S army when I was about four years old and he loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Just was so passionate about it. And it did wonders for our family. But unfortunately, he was in a helicopter accident uh, where he got medically discharged. He was a Persian Gulf vet. And um, after that, after having to go through a a pretty intense spinal surgery, um, you know, was kind of just bouncing around a couple odd jobs here and there. Um, That guy was in pain physically, mentally, emotionally, just the physical pain of the injuries, but also, I mean, I know how much the military meant to him and that was taken away. And 
me too, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But so I, you know, he kind of bounced around just to make sure that he was providing for his family. And then I'll never forget on one of his, he was doing like a textile delivery service. And on one of his routes, there was this vacancy, this corner lot that used to be a restaurant or coffee house or something. And um, it just planted the seed in his mind. And he would drive by it for days, weeks. Next thing I knew, my parents were telling me, hey, we're opening up a coffee house. And I was like, cool. Do I get free cake? You know, am I allowed to yeah. drink coffee now? I was like 10, 11 years old. And that was my first exposure. My dad had never owned a business before other than like, you know, he was kind of the coffee guy in his unit. So he's always like that guy in the back of the Humvee or out in the field or whatever, you know, just making the best of just shit coffee that you can get in the military. And um, so he kind of just took that and applied it to this new endeavor. And so he opened up a coffee house and then he opened up another one and another one. We had about four or five coffee houses and a very, very high end steakhouse actually for Roanoke, Virginia. We were the first certified Angus beef steakhouse, I think in all of Virginia way back in the day. Um, and that was my first exposure to it. And my dad just lived it, ate it, breathed it. Um, my babysitter was the coffee house. I would just hang out there all the time. And, uh, so that was my first exposure to entrepreneurship. Um, I didn't really know it was that at the time. I just like, Oh, this is what, this is my parents' job now, but that absolutely imprinted on me immensely. When did you start to get the entrepreneurial itch yourself? When I was banging my head up against the wall of my previous job of just feeling incredibly overworked and undervalued, um, that's when I personally got the itch of, I knew that I needed for my sanity and for my professional career, I needed to do something. I, I, I needed to get out. I needed to go to a different job. I, but then at the time, uh, a lot of my peers and even my, my younger brother uh, were transitioning into self-employment. This was around... 2014, 15, right, 2015, excuse me. And um, this is kind of like when social media bubble was happening and people were actually doing social media as a job, you know, whether that's, you know, YouTube, Instagram. And um, like I said, my brother was doing it. He had, it was growing. It had a very successful YouTube channel, still does. And a lot of our peers in that space and like the health fitness space were doing it. and everybody was making the leap and they're quitting their jobs and, and doing all this stuff. And so I was, again, in the eye of a hurricane there. It was their hurricane, um, but I was a part of it. And it was so exciting. And it was just, it was, it was, again, it was life. It was curious. It was curiosity. It was excitement. It was wonder. And, um, you know, it was different for me just seeing other people do it. But like I said, I was actually literally living with my brother at the time. So I was seeing the good, the bad, the ugly, the ups and the downs, and just watching him transform as this young man and just being able to just apply so many lessons and get creative maybe big brother syndrome again. I was like, I can do that. <laughs> so um, I was just like, you know what, instead of me leaving this company to go find something else, because I felt like, what are the odds of me finding a company that I'm not going to run into similar problems. So I just want to take it all. I want to take ownership and dominion. And so I built this exit strategy, told myself it was going to be six months. I wound up leaving in 30 days. I uh, got a wow. little, little excited. Yeah, it didn't go well with my wife because we definitely had agreed on a six-month plan. Um, so when I came home and told her I gave him my 30-day notice, that was a conversation that was uncomfortable. But here we are five years later, and uh, we're good now. So um, I stepped out, and you know, I kind of created my own coaching company. I was already a certified health coach working in this concierge medical practice. Uh, been, I was a coach for years. I was running their wellness department for over a year at that time. So I had my skills. I had leadership management skills. So I just was like, 
let me do this for myself. And, you know, if I'm going to over be overworked, it's going to be because I'm choosing to, therefore the rewards are there. So if I'm going to overwork myself, my value is going to be placed on me by me. And um, that's when I stepped out It's the end of 2017. And now here we are 2022 and um, just still rolling. What did that 30 day period of preparation look like for you? Did you already have clients on deck? Did you want to, I mean, was it like a huge YOLO and you just like went out and then started <laughs> like, you know, like, um, you know, pitching to people, then what did that yeah. transitionary period look like? You know, I think for, for anyone who steps out on their own, especially to do the same thing that you're doing for somebody else. Uh, what I mean by that was like, I, I stepped out to be a coach and a trainer, a health coach and a trainer. That was my training. That was, those are my certifications. That's what I had done. I wasn't like leaving health and fitness to go, you know, Hey, let me make soy candles. I don't know. Uh, there's a candle in front of me just popped up. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, I think a lot of us, when we have that itch, um, we're probably already scratching it in ways that we don't realize in the form of example, me, I was already training people for free. I was already giving people free advice, free workout programs, free nutritional advice. Uh, I was helping friends and family members, even a couple people in my apartment building at the time I was living in Washington, DC, just kind of, you know, Hey, you look like, you know what you're doing. So let me kind of, you know, let me get some help. And so I just kind of went to those things and those people that I was already giving away my value, giving away what I do professionally for free. And I just began to go, Hey, I like to offer you a full program and Hey, let's do a, you know, a three month, let's do a six month. Let's do month to month. Let me just actually, um, value myself here for once. And let me actually put a dollar to my skill set, And it, it just kind of picked up traction from there. So I then, I, I and also invested and created, um, uh, online health coaching platform, this coaching app that was instrumental in my transition out. It was my, basically my new platform to work individually to work with groups to work remotely. Um, and so I had started that about six months out. Um, but then as it got became developed, and I was actually integrating it with people, and I was making money, and I told myself, all right, Chase, for at least three months, you need to match your salary. Mm. When I was able to do that in that first 30 days, that's when I YOLO'd. I was like, oh, I got this. I got this. It's fine. And so I, I didn't touch my salary and I was only living off of what I was making on my own. And so I got super excited and just said, let me go. Let me go for it. Let me just go all in. And so, yeah, I, I went from just giving away my value. Again, I think a lot of us are probably doing that to actually asking for my worth. Well, asking for something. In the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey, I was definitely, definitely underselling myself. Um, just like, I don't know, like give me a hundred bucks. <laughs> um, and then, you know, kind of scaling from there, but just needing to get that initial traction to prove to myself that I could do it. But I also think that there is value to while you're learning, not pricing yourself as an expert, because if you overprice, if you overvalue yourself, not to say that we're all not worth an infinite amount of whatever we want, but I do think that when one is learning, it is important to price yourself accordingly. And then as you grow, as you gain more clientele, then that will kind of guide what your pricing looks like. Absolutely. And that was something I was trying to be mindful of in that process. But I, I really, I struggled because it, it's for me personally, my story was, all right, I went to school. I have a 
bachelor's, I have a master's. I've got these multiple certifications. I not only was doing this professionally for somebody else for several years at that time, but I also was already in leadership. I was already overseeing. I was managing seven to nine offices up and down the East Coast, seven to nine other coaches, hiring, firing, a part of and responsible for many high-level operations, forms of operations. And so if I were to take that and just directly go to, okay, here's my cost, I wanted to because I already had the prior history. I'd already proven to myself. I had the track record basically. But it's it, but then I had to really humble myself and get real. All right, well, Chase, so that's because you were a part of another system. You had somebody that was doing sales and marketing and follow-up and all these other things. All I had to do was just step into that role, be that role, and do that thing. And it, you know, when you step out on your own, you're your sales, you're your marketing, you're your accounting, you're your HR, your follow-up, you're that, the role, your profession. And um, I quickly realized that my time was getting consumed in all these other ways. And yes, absolutely to your point, I know how to deliver on this task. I know how to work with somebody in this profession. I know how to work in your health and your fitness and your wellness, but so much of how we are doing this, not so much the what, but how we are doing it is going to be new. And that, that I think is one of the most invaluable lessons in entrepreneurship is lower your expectations, especially when you're transitioning out on your own, lower your expectations of the ease or difficulty of what that process is going to look like. Even if you were doing the exact same thing that you were doing before is because there are going to be so many lessons. There are going to be some hiccups. There are going to be some complete failures. Um, you need to be ready to just really, I don't want to say bend, but be very malleable, be very malleable to that experience because especially in your first 10, 20 clients, they are going to be teaching you so much about your new business and so much about how you need to be showing up in terms of just hours, touch points, monetization. Um, and so I, I kind of, I guess, unconsciously just took that and deducted it from my cost, you know, like, all right, what's the value that they are going to teach me? And there is a value there that your new clients as a self-employed person, they are going to teach you. So it's almost like, they're bringing a lot of value to the table as well, besides what you're coming to the table with to charge them. So just being mindful of that really, really helps. But still, okay, Chase, bump it up a little bit. Nobody can survive off $100 a month, you know, <laughs> helping, so, helping somebody at that level. What did managing sales, marketing, and follow-up look like back then versus what it like, looks like for you now? So back then versus now, it's a little bit different because I'm uh, about three years ago, I hung up health coach Chase hat. Uh, now I'm just a full-time podcaster and I run a podcast production education and consulting company, um, which just was a natural kind of evolution of my journey. And I'm still a certified health coach and I still talk about on my show and my content, all things health, fitness, wellness, mindset. But back then it was, I'm available all the time, whenever wherever. It was through the app that I told you I created. So I was like, oh, this is great. I've got one platform for them to message me, for me to look at everything and I can communicate. But then some people would text me. Some people would email me. Some people would, I don't know, Zoom me, Skype me, all these other different things. It was really interesting. And I was just, I will always be here. I'm always here. I'm always available. I will always communicate. Even when I tried to set initial boundaries of 
hey, here are my email signature. Here's my office hours. Here's, you know, weekends, holidays. And it worked in some way. And I think even just having that initial boundary up, even if I wasn't honoring it or the client um, was a good start, but it was just, it was all over the place. It was a hot mess. And then it definitely transitioned as I grew that coaching business to not be just me. I had um, seven or eight other coaches at the time that I onboarded onto my platform and was a part of, you know, my whole brand and mission is called Ever Forward. So it was Ever Forward Coach uh, and the platform was called Ever Forward Coach. And so I had coaches all over the country working remotely. And so it was able to kind of, you know, not quickly, but scale over those next two years so that I didn't have to be all of those things. Um, and then it really was for them and for me, for my other coaches and for me and the clients, it was app only, app only, app only. Um, especially, I think that was a really crucial, pivotal moment because I, when I realized I don't want to keep setting this expectation of being available all the time, all the places for myself, but if I still do it, it's still me. But I didn't want that to be the case for my new team, for these other coaches. And so I think really having getting anybody else on your team, getting just one other person on your team really does change the perspective of, oh, what's really going on here? What boundaries do I have in my business or don't I have? Because then it's like, all right, well, it's not fair to them. It's tricky in entrepreneurship. We might feel like it's not fair for them to have this process, but we'll still do it to ourselves. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a weird kind of duality, but that really helped me kind of get better at systems and communication and boundaries and all those things uh, to where now it, you know, that, that aspect has definitely carried over because now I have a team of about nine other, you know, in my production company. Um, and it's the same lessons learned then I'm applying now. Um, it's just a, it's like same, same, but different, you know, I'm no longer working one-on-one -on -one with clientele for health and fitness, um, but we're just working in the um, podcast space. So many questions, but let's start with this one. What systems, platforms, and apps do you now use with your team and with all of your clients to keep everything organized mm. and to keep information available to you when you need it? So for the team, we use this project management board called Monday, monday.com. So um, do we. It, it's kind of like other versions that are what, Trello mm -hmm. um, and other other platforms like that with, you know, project management boards, which is great. It's, it works really, really well for our team. Uh, so we all can see exactly who's taking ownership of what communication status, you know, assigning dates, just again, color coding. Actually, I'm kind of just connecting those dots now of why I think I love Monday so much is the color coding. Um, and then for our clientele, we have our own production portal. So it's a, it's a separate entity. It's our own portal system to where the client logs in and has direct communication to my operations manager, their podcast manager. Um, and then it's, you know, the, she, Alexi, my operations manager is the gatekeeper to the rest of the production team for that client. So it's just really just, it's, it's bringing together where and with whom there's communication. Um, so amongst the team, it's monday.com. Amongst the clientele, it's our production portal. And not having everybody have access to everybody has been instrumental. So the client communicates with their podcast manager, my operations manager, and then anything that goes beyond that, you know, she disseminates out to the production team. So it's really kind of just, you know, full circle, kind of bringing back a lot of that just basic chain of command stuff that I'm so used to from, you know, my military service of, 
not everybody needs access to everybody all the time. Certain instances, sure, got to run it up to the top of the food chain. But, you know, there are systems and protocols, even just in fundamental basic daily communication that just make the most sense so that we're not stepping on toes, double dipping in work. And also really honestly, not looking like we don't know what we're doing to the client, because if they're posting a message or if multiple people are getting back to them, it just, it, it's not a good reflection of the team of why aren't you all communicating? Why am I getting multiple answers back or confusion uh, or even different answers? So just having those separate platforms has been great. Any personal apps on your phone that you find are really helpful for you? Ooh. Um, in terms of management time management productivity. All of the above. Cause there's chase the chase, the boss, but then there's chase the human. <laughs> right. And yeah. as someone, as a fellow entrepreneur who also likes organization and color coding and, um, systems, I'm just selfishly curious <laughs> what apps you're using. Cause I wonder if they might be useful. Yeah. I, I'm cheating and I'm looking right at my phone. I'm like, all right, wow. Um, what actually am I using? And I have, yeah, I use the Monday app. It's a great little way to just stay connected on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, honestly for personal chase, which the more I take care of myself, the more, the more better I show up for everybody else. Um, I use the whoop app. I have like their widget is like this big corner of my screen. Uh, whoops is physical activity tracker here been running this guy for close to three years. And that for me is my number one thing that I use every day. It's just a quick little number and color again, number and color. Here we go. Um, for me to kind of just check in, um, my sleep, my recovery, my strain. It's just a quick way for me to look at the quantitative data. You know, I I can wake up and I can assess myself. I can qualitatively feel and qualitatively assess myself all day long, Sometimes that is an accurate depiction of what's really going on physiologically. And sometimes I'm overshooting or sometimes, you know, I'm undershooting. I'm, I'm, I'm lazy and just feeling unmotivated when actually my body is very primed and ready and recovered to, to get after it, whether that's for work or a workout. Um, so the whoop app has been instrumental the last several years, uh, the Monday board as well. And then another one on my home screen is the audible. Uh, I'm constantly just popping in an audio book. Um, I'm usually listening to an audiobook as well as reading it. Um, so it's a great way for me to kind of just double dip in, you know, different ways to learn. I love that. I do the same thing. We talked early on in the podcast about transitions and we've touched upon your podcasting um, company a little bit. We've touched upon, you know, you being, um, you know, in fitness, we've touched upon you being in the military a little bit but I'd love for you to go from the very beginning, the early years and talk about the different transitions that you've made chronologically. So we can kind of understand all the different lives of chase tuning. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. So like I said earlier, I followed in, well, I followed my father's footsteps because like I said earlier, he was also in the military and his father before him, his brother, and you know, so on, like every generation, basically as far back as we know, there's always been a tuning that served. And at the time when I was 16, 17, it's about that time as a junior, when you're thinking about college, applying to college. And I, everyone, everyone in my school was doing it. I was at a very, very small private school. um, And so it was even more eyes on. I literally had a graduating class of six people. That's how small it was. Wow. Yeah. So the pressure's on, you know, the peer pressure, whether it's real, real or just in your head of, you know, Hey, I'm applying to school. Where are you applying? Did you get in? Did you not? And I kind of thought I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I, I came from kind of an artistic background and 
I really enjoyed sketching and painting and design. And I was actually looking at VCU, the school where I ultimately wound up going for exercise science uh, for the graphic design program. But it wasn't just a hell yeah for me. And mm. I was kind of just exploring options. And my father just presented like total honesty, just open door of like, hey, here's here was my experience in the military. Here's what I liked. Here's what I didn't. Um, and here's why I think maybe you might want to consider it. And it was never forced upon me. It was never, hey, Chase, every tuning has done this. So therefore, you know, you're the next one kind of thing. Um, it was just presented as an option. And the option was just more appealing to me at the time. They were giving me a $20,000 sign up bonus. They were giving me all these college benefits, a lot of these things. And also, like I said, you know, we didn't really come from a lot of money. And um, I, I, I recognized that by me not going to college, was also going to mean not placing a financial burden on my family. Mm -hmm. And so I went with that. And so I enlisted, I was technically still 17, um, graduated high school, went to boot camp, And I thought that was going to be it. I thought that was going to be Chase for the next 20 years because I was like, I joined at 17 to 20 years, you can retire. I was like, cool at 37. That's so young. I'll have all these benefits. I'll be a retiree. I can go on to the next phase of my life, which is wild to think about now because I will be turning 37 later this year. And I'm just like, what version of Chase would be here right now? Like, I, it would be crazy. Um, so I went in, I enlisted and then I joke, you know, my family loves to serve, but none of us can apparently last. My father was in an accident, medically discharged. I was also in an accident, was medically discharged. And uh, so I, I, I lasted six years. Um, I left as an E6, the staff sergeant. And um, in that rehabilitation process, um, I, I, I was just out of kind of necessity, fascinated with the human body. Um, because for about the last year and a half of my time in the military, I, I wasn't doing my job. I was just a patient. I was in and out of surgeries, in and out of rehabilitation, just in this medical hold unit where I was just getting rehabilitated, you know, I had both my hips completely reconstructed and just learning how to walk again and all this crazy, crazy shit. You never think you would have to happen to you as a 22, 23 year old. And, uh, I was like, this can't be my life. This can't be, no, I'm not going to accept these new limitations. And so I decided to study the human body for myself at the time. So I, I went back, I went to school, went back to Virginia went and went to school, um, studied exercise science and just fell in love with anatomy, physiology, the human potential. I, I fell in love with physical fitness and I went from just doing it and being an active person to really understanding the mechanics and how we work and how to work around the new limitations like I had. And I fell in love with it and decided to make it my new career. And so there I went from civilian to soldier to civilian again, to student to, um, you know, I, I got my undergraduate in exercise science and I became a personal trainer, uh, began working in like corporate wellness and then concierge wellness, concierge medicine, became a certified health coach. At the time thought like, oh, if I'm going to do this thing, I, I need more, right? I need more degrees. And, you know, especially in the fitness community, you'll see everybody just trying to get all the letters after their name. So I went back to grad school. I got my master's in health promotion and concentration in nutrition and just was like doubling down on all these things. Um, and then lo and behold, you know, all the transition we're talking about earlier of being my stepping out, doing my own thing. And so it's kind of just like, I, I kept transitioning. I kept leaving one thing to go to the next thing, but I can wholeheartedly say this now with perspective and years on the other side, I have just been getting closer and closer back to myself. 
And it's just been incredible to go from, you know, the military to, to school, to working for somebody else, to working for myself. I'm very grateful to be in a time and an age and a place where, you know, just with hell, your iPhone, you can decide to do that. You can pick up a camera, you can pick up a phone, you can start a business, start social media. And, um, and I, it allowed me just to get closer and closer to myself and how I personally chase as a human being prefer to show up and how I wanted to feel and the things that I was curious about, and then was able to just apply them into content and apply them into podcasts and YouTube and make money and impact other people's lives really at the same time. It's just been incredible. So there've been a lot of transitions. Um, I I've had a lot of physical rehabilitation, uh, a lot of uh, emotional as well. You know, my father actually unfortunately passed away in, in 2005, just very shortly after I enlisted. And, um, you know, that took me over a decade to kind of rehabilitate from and transition into really just having mental health and emotional health be a part of my life on a regular basis. Um, it's just been the ability for me to work daily and continuously to who I truly am and how I prefer to show up for myself, but then also be able to model that and to just be a resource actively or passively for anybody and everybody that chooses to tune in. So we were initially introduced by the Campbells, Kara and Caleb Campbell. Love them. I mean, obsessed seeing them them, this weekend. Can't wait. Oh, Um, I I haven't met Sophie yet. Sophie London, uh, she's a nug. She is uh, just pure heaven. I'm afraid I'm going to meet her and she's just going to be just an adult. <laughs> uh, right? Um, I mean, they grow up fast. I tell you what, but there are so many terms that that you are using where I know that you and I are in the same tribe and also anyone that is vetted through those two amazing humans who have been on the podcast multiple times. Anyone who listens to uh, the podcast regularly will know Karen and Caleb Campbell. They're so wonderful. Um, but you're using so many buzzwords that, <laughs> that we use in com- that I use in conversation with them every time. I'm sure every they time. definitely rubbed off. Uh, absolutely. How could they not? Oh my gosh. They're just the best. What brought you to Los Angeles? Originally, if we had to boil it down to one reason as to why did my wife and I decide to, because she's originally from Virginia. I'm originally from Virginia. We were living in Washington, D.C. at the time. Incredible social circle. All of our friends and family were there or within like a two-hour radius. <clears throat> and what made us literally sell everything that we couldn't fit into our car, pack up and drive across country and start our life over again by choice. Um, Technically on paper, it was for her to pursue higher education, for her to level up her profession. She was a nurse, technically still is, and wanted, wanted more. She wanted to go back to school. She wanted to level up professionally. So she was looking at nurse practitioner programs, grad school programs. And we were looking at a lot of different schools and we had some options. Um, but USC kind of sort of kind of was like recruiting her and just had like a better offer and was, we were able to start sooner. And we're like, you know what? We, we don't have kids yet. Um, we, you're already working for yourself. If there's ever a time to make a big leap like this, now is kind of it. So we did. We, like I said, literally sold everything that we couldn't fit into our car, started fresh, packed, 
spent like five days having this great road trip across the country, um, came out to Southern California. We started down in actually Orange County, um, realized that it's pretty, but too sleepy for us. We're like, maybe we'll come back when with kids and ready to retire. No offense to anybody in Orange County. Um, and plus I was already kind of being pulled back and forth to LA. I was already driving multiple times a week, you know, for, for networking, for the podcast, whatever. And um, we joked, you know, we, we came out here for her, you know, which we did. She went to school, she became a nurse practitioner. And now she's a family nurse practitioner here in LA. Um, but I guess the universe decided that it was for me because uh, moving here was just, I, I didn't know what was possible. I, it still blows my mind what's possible. And not to say that it has to be LA, but it just getting out of that immediate comfortable zone of, of where our friends and family were. And just honestly, I, I still love, love DC. Like we want to have another home there. Like I, I love DC, but just, I tapped out. I really kind of just reached my personal ceiling in that city because of just what I do. I'm, I'm not political. I'm, you know, I'm not none of these traditional DC things, but coming here not only humbled me so incredibly, like the first couple months we were here, I had the worst phase of my business ever and was just like literally like how am I going to have money like what how are we going to get food uh, it was just really wild experience but then out of that came so much more and, and so many new people like Caleb actually funny enough we traced it back Caleb May and I my wife actually landed feet in LA within a matter of hours of each other the same day stop yeah i get goosebumps every time i say it they, like literally within a couple hours we came here at the same time and then found each other um so we came here for her for higher education and now she's killing it doing her thing but it was just this incredible opportunity for me to just like wind me up and set me loose kind of thing and um it, it's just been incredible ever since that's when I, I really leveled up the show and I went from just doing you know remote online recordings in the podcast to making it a show to doing it in person um, to just meeting so many other people and tapping into so many other things I mean I don't think anybody here in LA will ever reach the the full potential of what LA has to offer it's just there's so many people here doing just wild incredible amazing things um, so it's uh, it's just been a it's been a blessing and a roller coaster for me to, to say the least I love that. I met both of them in LA as well. I was in LA for 14 years and just mm. moved across the country a year and some change ago um, to expand the business in the South and Southeast. But LA does have something really special about it. It just lights up something inside of you that you didn't mm. know it was possible. Um, the way that it encourages people to get creative and not just people who are in the creative space, but mm -hmm. to get creative mm -hmm. for survival for, um, get creative with self-discovery. It is, mm -hmm. it is a really special place that, um, I think offers if leaned into honestly and, and fully allows people to really flourish. Oh, you, you've got to surrender to Los Angeles. That's for damn sure. Um, and it was a hard transition, you know, coming from East coast to West coast was a big smack in the face. Um, like there's no Southern hospitality. I would hold the door for people and there would be nothing. I'd be like, you're welcome. It just, everybody seems so self-absorbed and in their own world at all times. And in some instances that definitely is still true, but I'll never forget. It was about 10, 11 months later, I was flying actually back from DC uh, to LA and we were going to land and the pilot came on the overhead and said something like they always do. And we're descending our, 
we're beginning our descent into Los Angeles. You know, if this is home for you, welcome home. And like, it felt like home for the first time. I remember just looking out the window and I was like, I'm home, I'm coming home. And um, it took almost a whole year to just completely get out of my comfort zone and be okay with it. And someone, a new friend we met uh, had this to say about LA and I think it's the best description. We're just walking through Santa Monica, I think it was, and just turned and looked down this middle of the city and looked at the city and all these people and doing all the things. And it was just like, God, man, LA sucks. God, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) That is, we need that on bumper stickers, on Mm t-shirts, on, we we need, you need to do a merch line because that is the most truth. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best description I've ever heard of Los Angeles. Like, God, this place sucks, man. Do I love it? (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's the best. That's the best. What does this next chapter look like for you? Mm -hmm. I, I have been currently in my next chapter for about the past two years. Um, when I turned 35, I felt like for the first time I started living my life. I started living my life for myself. I started living within parameters and guidelines that I was setting. I growing up in the Bible belt, coming up in the military rules are rules for me. It's a yes or a no. It's a right or a wrong. It's you're going to burn in hell or it's going to be, you know, you're going to ascend to heaven. Um, and I realized that there are a lot of truths in my upbringing, a lot of things that I will always hold dear in some way. And that can be my infrastructure, but it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to define me. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to live out in the fringe a little bit. It's okay to just step into expansion. And that's exactly what I've been doing. My, my next chapter, I'm in my next chapter, and that absolutely is expansion. And uh, I'm living, Caleb will appreciate this as well, I'm living very heart-centered for the first time ever, ever. That's amazing. Sounds like you are flirting with the gray space. <laughs> to say the least, to say the least. Yeah, we are, we are very actively flirting. Yeah, absolutely. And also living in surrender. Oh, the most. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Was there a point in time where you hit rock bottom and really found out what surrender meant and felt like, was there an aha moment for you around surrender or was it just like a continued muscle that was built over time? You know, I would say probably my first experience with that came years ago, um, before I was even in this current chapter. Um, long story short, I was in a period of my life where everything externally was great, um, was physically in the best shape of my life. I was the strongest. I was the leanest. I had just moved up, you know, to just living outside of DC at the time with my brother. So, you know, I was like leveling up my life. I just gotten this job, this promotion, um, was dating this beautiful woman, my, my wife now and, Externally, everything was great, um, but I was falling apart on the inside and I did not have any kind of mental health, emotional health check-in, did not have any kind of practice. And the more and more I was pursuing the external validators and the external forms of success, um, the more and more my inside was just falling apart. And for me, it was in the form of just unresolved and un 
not even like recognizing um, traumatic events and past experiences and um, going through, you know, un, at that time, undiagnosed PTSD. Um, just my life was, I, I wasn't living, I wasn't able to live, you know, certain things I would just have to completely run out of a movie theater because I would have a breakdown. I would drive off the road. I, the one thing in particular, I had like the worst panic attack of my life to the point I was kind of like blacking out. And next thing I knew my, you know, May was kind of like resuscitating me and bringing me back. And we were just sitting watching a movie and um, I was just completely not dealing with this, this traumatic death of my father. And um, I could not, watch anything about death. I cannot see anything about death. Uh, I couldn't hear certain words or hear certain music without being completely triggered and transported back and just completely lose control. Um, and it was basically like, I had like an ultimatum at the time, uh, an ultimatum of like, I love you. We can have a future, but you don't have a future with yourself right now. And if you don't have a future with yourself, if you're not working on this, like this is not living chase. And it was kind of like, hey, if you can't work on this, at least work on this, not like I'm not looking for an answer, a fix right here, right now. But if you can't make a commitment to work on this for yourself, then you're also not making that commitment to work on it for me. And so it was just this really scary moment of this woman, like, this is it for me. This is my future. She is it. If this is unacceptable for her and she is saying it should be unacceptable for me, then why is it not? unacceptable for me. And so that really scared me straight. It scared me into like going back and getting help, um, seeing a therapist really put me on my path now of just all asking these questions and looking inward and just kind of leaning into this pain instead of running away from it, like I'd done for 12 years at the time. Um, and then finally integrating it and finally making my mental health and emotional health, just having check-ins and prioritizing them um, that was my first moment to surrender because it was literally my father passed away from ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease and had a very, very escalated case. And it was all during my time in the military. So anytime I would come home, I would see him, I would be thousands of miles away. I would come home and it would just be compounded worse, just like this human being withering away. Um, and that really messed me up and I didn't realize how much. And, um, that was my first experience with surrender of, all right, I've been literally running away from this problem my entire life or since he passed away I have to surrender to it more importantly I have to choose to run towards it and and in doing so I not only got a lot of my life back but I got the reason for everything I'm doing today you know ever for this is on the shirt that my brother makes Everford apparel. It became my name for the podcast, Everford radio, the coach, Everford coach. It went from being this phrase, you know, even got a tattoo to my arm. It just went from being this cool thing, this family phrase to actually giving my life purpose and meaning. And so it was a great way for me to kind of honor my father's legacy, but also it gave me like this lifeline, this through line to healing that I desperately needed. And so it gave me my life back. It gave me my relationship back and it gave me everything that I'm doing here today. Well, somehow it's been an hour, but we must have you back on the show to continue okay. this conversation because okay. I feel like Anytime. we just unlocked this entire new episode of purpose and surrender and doing the work. And, mm. um, that is speaking about those things are my love language. I mean, that is really, you know, in my 
in my personal relationships and a bit with my employees too. Like that is, that is what we talk about. That is the most powerful, largest surrender I, I think I've ever done in my life. A very conscious, or I went from a subconscious running away in suppression to this major life event to complete surrender and choosing to just run head on towards it. Um, it's definitely one of those things, you know, things got worse before they got better, but it's, um, let's just say even just like two years ago, I would not have been able to talk at all about this without completely breaking down. But you know, and now here we are. Well, Chase, you are spectacular. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming Thank on you, the man. show. How can we find and support you? Uh, so I run Everford radio is, is my baby, uh, multiple episodes a week. It's all things, you know, I say conversations and messages and messages to help bring awareness to areas of your life, to propel you forward, to live a life ever forward. That phrase came from my late father actually came from his first duty station. It was his first unit's creed. So it's got a lot of cool history to it. Um, but the podcast anywhere and everywhere you listen to podcasts and then Instagram is where I'm just kind of sharing my daily journey of physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being, anything I'm experiencing, trying. It is a no holds barred, uh, very, very gray, um, just experience of my life, my wellness, my relationship, my business. Um, it's like the, it's like the pregame for the podcast. What, what you maybe you see me checking out on Instagram at chase underscore tuning is what I'm going to dive into deeper, whether through a solo episode or with an expert on the show. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you beyond. And when I do come to Los Angeles in the next couple of months, I would love to get together with you in May. Oh, please, please. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I'm jealous. Yeah. You're going to be uh, seeing Karen Caleb before we do probably. We're going to be coming out and um, we're going to Nashville in October. Uh, so not too far off. Well, send me those dates because I have a family reunion in Nashville in October. So maybe all amazing. of our, okay, cool. our dates will align. Yeah, That'd be that so be fun. Amazing. You rule. Thank you so much, Chase. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening, everybody. Well, folks, that interview was just incredible. A huge thank you to Chase for coming on the show. And another thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and producers at Island City Media. If you like this episode, you can listen to it again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people and conversations that you love, just like Chase. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at MarinCostello.com and MarinCostelloRadio on Instagram. Have a beautiful day, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week.